All right, praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. Somebody glad to be in the house of God today. Yeah? Hallelujah. We got the Chongyongbu team. They should have left already. All right. Very good. Uh, if you guys could uh, keep me in prayer, right after I preach this message, uh, I'm going to be going down to the main sanctuary. Uh, I'm going to be ministering to the uh, young adult, KM's young adult ministry, uh, the Chongyongbu. Uh, so uh, if you guys can uh, just uh, whisper a prayer, just uh, send it up for me. Hallelujah. All right. Ready to hear the word of God. Let me see it here. Say, yeah. 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 You know, last week I began a sermon series called Make War. And I preached on being victorious over a critical spirit. Now, how many of y'all really made war on a critical spirit this past week? Raise your hand. Yeah? yeah? All right. Okay. Got some. All right. God bless you all. I'm so proud of you guys. We're doing such a great job of making war on a critical spirit. Uh, today I'm going to be continuing this uh, series by talking about making war on a cheap spirit. Hallelujah. Who in here knows someone who's really cheap? You know somebody who's really cheap. Alright, on, on the count of three, I want you to point at that person and say, you're really cheap. Alright, one, two, three, go. Alright, it was a test. I, I'm... I'm very proud of you guys for, <laughs> for not doing that, all right? If you did do that, go listen to my message from last week. <laughs> Got him. All right. Um, I'm going to be talking about a cheap spirit. A cheap spirit. Right now, all over the world, the economies of the world are suffering from massive recessions. And the government in America is providing all these bailouts in the hope of averting a Great Depression again. But uh, with all these bailouts, uh, the nation is actually uh, in danger of terrible inflation and insurmountable national debt. And if it wasn't for certain wonderful companies like Apple Computers, you know, we would be in a lot worse shape right now. Well, praise the Lord. God bless Apple. Amen? Amen. Where's all the Apple users? Hallelujah. But it is in these times of recession that we experience a famine in, a, in employment and in consumerism. And right now, many people in the world are responding to this famine by strapping down their savings and getting really frugal. Now, the bad thing about frugality is it tends to spread from our finances into our other areas of our life. And before we know it, we go from the wisdom of frugality to being infected by a cheap spirit. I'm here to preach to y'all so that you can make war on this cheap spirit. You see, the cheap spirit operates under the guise of having more, but actually offering you less. A cheap spirit aim is to keep you from God's blessings in every area of your life by utilizing a spiritual law that God has set in place. That law is found in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. In the ESV it says, Whoever sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Or in the NIV it says generously. A cheap spirit wants you to focus on the first part of that spiritual truth. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. They want you to live there and stay there. That's, that's what a cheap spirit's job is to do. And do you know what areas of your life that a cheap spirit will touch? The areas that you granted permission into. You know, uh, in the Bible, there are three stories I want to share which give us a glimpse of faith and what faith does in the face of famine and how it is a stark contrast to the cheap spirit that we're seeing around us right now. The first story comes from Genesis 26. Isaac is in the middle of a famine and he has these intentions to move down to Egypt. But God gives him a promise, tells him to stay put and pretty much says, don't worry. And so, despite everything that was dying around him, God assured Isaac that the promise made to his father Abraham was not dead. And so Isaac, having faith in God's promise, what he does is, verse 12 of Genesis 26 says that, in the middle of the famine, Isaac planted crops. Isaac planted crops. Who does that? In the middle of a famine, plant crops. Hey, here's a, here's a famine in the world. Let me go plant some crops, right? Who does that, right? But that's what Isaac did in faith, and guess what God did? The Bible says God blessed him with a hundredfold harvest. Hallelujah. Turn to your nail, tell him, I want that hundredfold harvest. If you fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 17, you have a story of another famine. And Jesus refers to this in Luke 4. There's a widow and her son. They're about to eat their last meal to die. It's their last supper. And the prophet Elijah is sent by God to this widow. And God tells him just to ask her for food. So Elijah goes. He asks her for food. And then he declares that if she will act in faith, her jar of flour and her jug of oil would not run out. Now, this widow could have easily just turned away and not done what Elijah had requested. But what, guess what the widow did? This widow that wasn't even part of Israel. This widow from Zarephath. What did she do? She chose instead to serve the prophet, to be hospitable. And the word of God says that God fulfilled the promise spoken through prophet Elijah. And the jar and the jug did not run out. Hallelujah. You fast forward to Acts chapter 11. There's a five-fold minister, a prophet named Agabus. He prophesies that a severe famine is going to spread over the entire Roman Empire. If you turn to Acts 11.29, what did the church in Antioch do in response? Right, in Acts 11, 29 and 30, it says, well, I'm not there actually. Let me turn to there. Acts 11, 29. I really like the church in Antioch. They're, they're really a great picture of an apostolic church. Acts 11, 29, it says, So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, 
to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. What did the church in Antioch do in response? Did they hoard all of their offerings, all of their income, all of their wealth? No, the Bible says that they chose to give an offering at the first mention of famine. If somebody came up to you here today, uh, say, Brother Michael was here today, and he starts to prophesy, there's going to be a crazy famine that's going to hit South Korea. It's going to happen in the next year. God, God has His own timetable. There's going to be a crazy famine. There's going to be no jobs available next year. What's the first thing you're going to do? Give an offering? Probably not. Right? But that's what the church in Antioch did. And what I'm trying to say through these three passages is that faith is not frugal. Faith is not frugal. Faith is not frugal even in the face of famine. Hallelujah. Faith is selflessly bold. Faith is generous. Faith doesn't hoard. It gives. In other words, faith is not cheap. There's nothing cheap about faith. In the kingdom of God, what we sow in times of famine will position us for influence in times of prosperity. How we act in faith in times of famine will determine how we are positioned for influence in times of prosperity. See, I know it's not easy to give in times of famine. And everyone's first instinct is to hoard everything and to look out for number one. And you're probably thinking, Pastor Christian, if I had lots and lots of money, I will give lots and lots to the church. Pastor Christian, if I won the lottery, I'd give away truckloads of money to the poor. But let me just say, that's not the voice of faith. That's the voice of a cheap spirit. It's also the voice of a person who can't do math very well. Okay. You never heard that? Lottery is a tax on people who can't do math. All right. Hallelujah. All right. Praise the Lord. Yeah, Jesus taught an interesting spiritual truth in a parable in Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three. And as he was telling this parable, he ended it by saying, uh, to the, in the parable, the master says, You have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I ain't going to trust you with more until you learn how to be faithful with the little that you have right now. You think you're going to be all faithful if you have millions of dollars to give away, but God is saying, if you don't know how to give away just a few hundred dollars, if you don't know how to manage just $24,000 a year, you're not going to be faithful with $24 million a year. Hallelujah. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. Brothers and sisters, if you don't learn how to give in times of crisis or need, you will probably never have the privilege of giving out of abundance. The wonderful quote, right? Bill Johnson, not me. 
If you don't know how to give in times of crisis or need, you will probably never have the privilege of giving out of abundance. Who in here wants the privilege of giving out of abundance? Raise your hand. You want to give out of abundance. Uh, I guess the rest of y'all, I just want to give out of the minimum I got. Alright, hallelujah. Who wants to be blessed to be a blessing? Raise your hand in the room. You know, the Word of God says you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to that promise. And God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you and you're going to be blessed and you're going to be a blessing. Hallelujah. That's a sign of a person who's blessed. When they are a blessing to others. Because that blessing is overflowing. Hallelujah. Who wants to finance their own high-rise building? Have you ever thought of that? Man, I'm living in Gongdok right now. And every morning at 5 in the morning, we get woken up to construction noise. Because there's this four-building apartment complex going up right next to our, our apartment building. And man, it, it, just, it just really annoys Aaron and I. But we bless, we bless them as they're doing it. Because we, we're trusting that McDonald's are, is going to get built <laughs> in that apartment complex. And that God would also see it fit to restore Taco Bell to Korea. <clears throat> well, how many of you guys look at construction like that and say, you know what, I want to be in charge of that sometime. In the future, I want to be in charge of that. You know, I, I, want, to be, I want to grow to the point where I can manage something like that. Because you know what, there's people already managing it. And they may not be righteous, but they're managing it. But we, don't, we, need the men, we need men and women of God in those positions of authority. Amen? In those positions of influence. So that they can give huge church office space away freely. You know, we need people like that. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, what I'm t- telling you right now is this time of famine right now, this global recession, this is the best time for you to invest. The best time for you to sow. Whether you're sowing into the church, into the kingdom work, or you're sowing into a stock or whatever, this is the best time to invest right here. Sow right now in this time of famine. Uh, and, and you will position yourself for influence. Don't let the cheap spirit creep in. You need to make war or else it will keep you from the abundant life that Christ has promised. You know, in case you didn't know, no one likes cheap people. Cheap people do not make good friends. Let me tell you, let me tell you right now, let me tell you some stories of cheap, cheap people. You know, you ask them for a favor, they give you an excuse. You uh, ask them for money, they give you the phone number of another friend. You uh, ask them for a french fry, and that's what you get. We get one fry. <laughs> they come over your place. It's a true story, by the way. I saw this on the internet last night. They come over your place. They clog your toilet. They run down to the supermarket, buy a plunger. And they unclog the toilet. And then they take the plunger home with them. And if that wasn't enough, later on you find out that they went to the supermarket and got a refund. That is cheap. That's nasty and cheap. No one likes cheap people. In fact, cheap people don't like cheap people. <laughs> cheap people always want something in return. They always need a reason. And don't ever take a gift from a cheap person. Because they're constantly calculating. 
It's got a string and it's all attached to your friend. Cheap spirit. And I should know. I used to be a cheap person. <laughs> Takes one to know one. Hallelujah. Well, sisters, whether we're like just blatantly cheap or we have, we're struggling with the cheap spirit in different areas of our life, we need to make war against the cheap spirit. This is going to affect your life. It's going to affect everything about your life. I'm going to mention, there's a lot of areas where you can make war on the cheap spirit. I'm just going to mention two main areas. Okay. Number one, don't, you be, don't be cheap with love. Jesus said the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, don't be cheap with your love. Give God your everything. But many times we are cheap in our love toward God. We don't give God all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We give our hearts to materialism and the things of this world. We bombard our minds with worldly values and propaganda. We give our strength toward selfish ambitions. Then we come to God and wonder why we can't love Him wholeheartedly. And the Bible says in 1 John 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Say amen to that. That's a good word. What this verse is saying is, don't be cheap in your love toward God. And you know what? A great picture of extravagant love for God is the woman with the alabaster jar. In the gospel accounts, this woman, she just breaks in. You know, Jesus is just hanging out, just breaks in. And she just breaks this jar of perfume that the gospel account says was about a year's worth of wages. That's like a $25,000 perfume bottle. And more like a milk gallon of perfume. I don't know how big it was, but you know, it cost a lot of money back in that day. And she just broke it. Just broke it and started pouring it all over Jesus. But you know what? That's the way we should love God. We need to stop being cheap. We need to be extravagant in our praise extravagant in our devotions, extravagant in prayer. Amen? Amen? God is worth, He is worthy of our extravagant love. And you know what? When she did that, cheap spirit spoke up. Through that little betrayer Judas. Cheap spirit spoke up and said, What a waste! This money could have been used for the poor. But that is not the voice of a person that's speaking love. That's a person, that's a cheap spirit. And that woman was simply, what she was doing was, she was simply obeying the first and greatest commandment. You know, Jesus said the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Not only should we not be cheap in loving God, but we need to stop being cheap in loving people. You know, most people are not cheap when it comes to loving themselves. 
When I look at all the birthday gifts I bought for other people, and then I look at all the, you know, these special gifts that I buy for myself, there's a stark contrast. People who buy for themselves nice clothes, purses, shoes, electronics. They're spending an exorbitant amount of time working on a particular project. But the moment it comes to loving others, we give, we give people a tithe of our love. You know? Well, I spent about $400 on that gift that I bought myself last month. So I'm going to give you... Well, $40 gift. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Shoot, some of y'all don't even do the tie. Y'all do the 1%, the 1% gifts. Or you just do a Hallmark card. That's all you give. Or you do, a, you do a homemade card. Hallelujah. That's not to hate on the people who make homemade cards. Homemade cards are nice too. Actually, you put your time into it. That's not cheap. All right. You know, God commands us to love others like we love ourselves. On one occasion, Jesus said, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then a man was struggling with racism. And he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus went on to tell him the parable of the Good Samaritan. And through this parable, he dealt with both the man's racism and his cheap spirit. In the parable, there's a priest and a Levite. They, they see this dude that's beaten up by robbers on the road. Now think of, it, think of this in the real life today. If you saw somebody that's not just homeless, but is like bleeding and is beat up, how many of you guys will stop? You might be like, well, I'll stop. I'll stop for that person. I'll help them out. Well, what if you were late for an appointment? How many of you guys would stop? What if you were in a position of high-ranking authority? Like a priest or a Levite. Like, let's say you are a CEO of a company. You are the governor of the, you are the, the, the mayor of the city of Seoul. How many of you guys will stop? And you're late for an appointment. Well, the parable says the Levite and the priest, they just passed on by. But it is the Samaritan, this race of people that the Jews hated. They were the rejects. They were the rejects of God's the descendants of Israel because they had mixed up pagan worship with, with the worship of Yahweh so much and it's only the Samaritan that takes the time and the Bible says he bandaged this guy's wounds he poured on oil and wine he put the man on his donkey like he put the man in his Hyundai uh, he took him to an inn he took care of him in the inn and then when he had to leave, he gave money to the innkeeper. And then on top of that, promised to give the innkeeper more money if the guy incurs more expenses. This is a great picture of how we ought to love one another. The good Samaritan was not cheap. We need to learn how to love each other. Like the Good Samaritan. In fact, God not only stops us, he, he not only says, He commands us to love our neighbor, but He goes further and He commands us to love our enemies. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that you got to love your enemies. 
If you do not make war on a chief spirit, you will never love your enemies. You'll be like, I don't have any enemies. Well, maybe that's, that's what you think. But think about all the times where there are unresolved issues with people. Your best friend can easily become your enemy the next week. Your cousin, your brother, even your parents can become your enemies. Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace but a sword to turn his father against his own son. And the, enemy of his, the enemies that he has will be the members of his own household. And you know what God tells us? When you're dealing with all that hurt and all that pain, God says, love your enemies. But, but they haven't apologized yet. Love your enemies. And Jesus' logic goes, if God is good to all the people on the earth and he sends rain and the rising of the sun, he sends it to the wicked and the just, Jesus says, we ought to do the same. We got to learn to love everyone. Brothers and sisters, we got to put away cheap love, amen? We got to put away cheap love. Philippians 1.9 says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. There's another area that a cheap spirit manifests. And that's money. You know, there is no other area that a cheap spirit manifests more than in money. You know, and this is easy to see by the way that people think of the tithe. The money that God requires of each person, this command of God. If I have to be honest, for most of my adult life, I've thought of the tithe as a maximum rather than a minimum. The tithe, the tithe was my ceiling rather than my floor. And if that's the way you think, I'm telling you right now, that's a cheap spirit. That's a cheap spirit. If you spend time thinking about all the things you could buy with the tithe, that's a cheap spirit. Don't look at me like I'm the only one who did that. Come on now. Or if you, when you hit a financial hardship, the first thing you tighten up is the tithe. That's a cheap spirit right there. Or when you're having a hard time, you start to negotiate with God. Lord, can I, you understand, you're a God of love and grace. Can I give the tithe about two months later? I just really want this digital camera. And uh, because of the financial hardship, I just can't get it. But come on, Lord, you love me, right? That's a cheap spirit. That's a cheap spirit. And when it comes to bringing our money before God, we've got to break that cheap spirit off of our hearts. Because God is wanting to bless you to be a blessing. And all you want to do is just be blessed. You just, you just want to be blessed for me, myself, and I. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. The Bible says, As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. We've got to stop being so cheap toward people with our money. Not just toward God, but with, with people. Every time there's a birthday or a wedding, if you feel despair rather than joy, that's a cheap spirit. 
If you keep track of and calculate everything that you've given to people and what they've given to you, that is a cheap spirit. You know, I was shocked when I was preparing for my wedding with Aaron. And I saw a culture being exposed among Korean parents. And it shocked me. Did you know that your parents, they keep track of every wedding monetary gift that they have given to someone else for someone else's son's wedding? They keep track of all that. They have like, if they could, they will make a spreadsheet. But they don't. They just keep it in a notebook somewhere. They keep track. Of, I'm, I'm telling you right now, you might be like, no, my, my parents don't do that. Yes, they are. It is a cultural thing. And everybody knows that everybody else is doing it, so everybody does it. You know, and, and I was just thinking, man, that's just so cheap. And that's not to dog on the Korean parents, although it sounds like that. All right. But it's just to say that that culture is not, is not, is not biblical. It's not pleasing to God. No one's doing any giving. Everyone's just offsetting everyone's balance. It's not giving. Calculating is not giving. Jesus said, when you give with your right hand, don't let your left hand know what it's doing. That means when you give, don't even think about it. No strings attached. And when you give, give to those people who can't pay you back, Jesus said. If you have a wedding, invite people that can't even, they can't pay you back. Just invite them, fill your wedding with people like that. Because then your reward will be great in heaven. And I was shocked, man. That's... And so you know what my response, Aaron and our, my response was to all that? The next wedding we went to, and we knew, we went to Monica and Roberto's wedding, and, uh, and we knew what, how much Monica and Roberto gave us. And you know, they were very generous with their gift. But we were like, you know what? If I just, if we just, man, and they gave a lot, so if we just give just as much as they did, there's no giving going on. So we said, you know what? We're going we to top that gift. We're going to give them more than what they gave us. And then the next time, we had another opportunity to give. We, we had Roberto's uh, birthday. And then everybody in the car, including myself, was not thinking of going. We were going to a birthday party and none of us had birthday gifts. And in the car, God's Spirit just like convicted me and said, go get a gift from Roberto. And... Uh, I didn't grow up on, in the streets of Philadelphia with Noberto, okay? Noberto grew up in Mozambique on, on the, on, he was an orphan kid growing up on the streets of, uh, Mozambique before Heidi Baker picked him up. But you know what? I, I just said, right, Lord, he's your servant. He is your child. I just want to bless him. So, you know, I just found out that he likes soccer. And we just, we just got him some soccer gear. And they were just so blessed by that. And a few months later, they came to my birthday party. And they gave me all this crazy gifts from like Zara and all these places that I will probably never shop at because it's quite expensive. And they bought, they bought me all these lavish gifts. And I was like, man, this is so lavish. I can't even keep track of how much money we're all spending. But hallelujah, we're giving. <laughs> we got to excel in the grace of giving. When you see people at this church... Treat them to food. Use your money to gain friends. Whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> Pastor Christian, I don't know if that's biblical. Using money to gain friends. That sounds a little bit manipulative. 
More than manipulative, it's shrewd. It's shrewd. No, there's a difference. And you heard right. Use your money to gain friends. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus. If you go to Luke chapter 16 and read the parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus said, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. That's right. Use your money to gain friends. Hey, I'm telling you, it's a lot better than using flattery and a facade and pretending you can play football when you can't. He says, use your money to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You know, when you get to heaven, people will remember what you did for them on the earth. Did you know that? It's not like when you enter the gates of heaven and all your brain is just washed out. Oh, I'm in heaven. Where did I come from? What happened? You know, no, when you get to heaven, you, you, you will remember everything that happened while you're on this earth. And you will remember those people that helped you out when you were having a hard time. Treat people to food. Hallelujah. Uh, let me talk about being cheap. You know, everybody loves getting a good deal. Everybody loves a great sale. Everybody likes to save money. But check it out. When you have to resort to shady tactics, you got to ask yourself, what price am I going to put on my integrity. You might save Ochanan, Manon, Imanon. But what good is it for you to save that money if it's costing you your character and integrity? What price are you going to put on your integrity? And in Asian culture, and this goes for Koreans, Chinese, Indians, in Asian culture, we have this like value do everything and anything to get a good deal. And never once do we think of blessing that vendor that's just having a real hard time. You know, sometimes I just go out and, you know, I'm not good at bargaining. You know, I'm not good. At, I've tried it and I just end up telling lies because I'm just, I'm not good at it. And then, oh, no, no, I told a lie. <laughs> like, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at bargaining. And so when God started to convict me and say, get rid of that chief spirit, I say, Lord, I know that this boom bag is not this price. But Lord, I'm going to pay this price. And Lord, this is, this is the way I just want to bless this vendor. I don't know this person. That person can never pay me back. But I'm just going to bless them. And you know what? That feeling of being gypped, I'm going to let the heart of a joyful giver overshadow that. I just bless people. So if you look, look at me shopping, it looks like I'm getting ripped off. No, I ain't. Because God sees everything that I'm giving. And he keeps track. And he's going to reward me. Not just when we get to heaven, by the way. The Bible says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, we should just bless vendors. My parents used to be vendors, man. And that's tiring, man, when you got to like, haggle with everybody. Every one of your customers, you got to haggle with them. You know, like if you go to a restaurant, 
In America, at least, right? If you go to a restaurant in America, man, you know Asians have the worst reputation for being bad tippers? We, and it's accurate. We live up to it. We make sure we get our calculators out. The service was not very standard. So, minus 3%. So, 12%. You know, you know the standard is 15%, by the way. 10% was 20 years ago. Don't be tipping at 10%. People are going to yoke you. Like, they're going to curse you. Uh, give you 15% gratuity. If you like it, 18%. And guess what? If you're feeling generous, just bless them. You know what? You know, people hate on Joel Allstein all the time, but one thing I really admire about him, whenever he goes out to a restaurant, he'll just tip the waitress an exorbitant, extravagant amount. He'll, he'll put down a $20 tip for a $15 meal. Or he'll put down $100 sometimes. And he'll just, he'll just walk out. And, it, and he's had a few instances where the, the, the waitress will come out of the restaurant in tears and just say, I have no idea why you did that, but let me just thank you. You know what? I've just been having a really bad day. And what you did just blessed me so much. That's what the people of God are supposed to do. That's the way we're supposed to live. We need to get rid of this cheap spirit. You know, when you're on the streets here in the city, I want to encourage you. Give to the poor. How many of you in here, you keep a predetermined amount of money in your pocket to give to the poor when you see them? How many people do that? All right, God bless you, Brady. All right. <laughs> and most of us don't even do that, right? And I, I've thought of, uh, I made plans to do that, but I've never really kept it. I, mean, I still try to give as much as I can, and I usually have to stop and fumble through it, and, blah, blah, and then I got to give it. But, you know, people who really plan to be a giver, every day they start the day, they put a certain amount of change right in their pocket. And if they're giving generously, they put dollar you know, bills there. And then when they see a homeless person, they don't, it's just one smooth transaction. Reach in and drop. It's none of this like, Lord, you're convicting me to give. And you turn back around. I'm fumbling to give. That's the heart of a giver. I encourage everybody to do that. And let me tell you. You know, some people, they have concerns that a homeless person may take that money and use it on drugs or alcohol. But can I tell you something? It is not your responsibility to police all the homeless people in the city. Amen? That is a liberating truth. Some of y'all need that right now. It is not your responsibility. God is not grading you for how well you are keeping the homeless people in this city accountable. It's not your job. Stop it. Don't do it. That's between that person and God. Even if that person is a druggie. You don't know if that person is going to use that for money for food. It's not your job. And you might, some people, because of that reason, they give to non-profit organizations rather than to the poor. And if that's what you're really doing, that's great. But that doesn't mean you can't give to the poor. And for most people, this reason is just an excuse that they hide behind to cover up their cheap spirit. Can I get an amen? That is, come on. 
I know because that was me. Check it out. When you see a poor person, let me tell you right now, it is biblical that you be moved by that. It is so important that do not live life numbing yourself to the beggars that you see. You know, in Proverbs 21.13, it actually says, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Oh, that's scary right there. It's like a part of the truth that I preached last week. The measure of judgment you use on others, it will be judged against you. Jesus said, Jesus said, when you give to the needy, there was an expectation that Jesus had on his followers about giving to the poor. You know what? God never commends a cheap spirit in the Bible. Amen? Jesus called the rich man who stored up all he had, he called him a fool. Stored up all this wealth for himself. And Jesus said, tonight your life is going to be taken from you. Who is going to get all this wealth? Brother and sister, don't live like a fool. Don't be cheap. Be a giver. Make war on a cheap spirit. And you know what? This goes for a lot of other things. I'm just going to mention these real quick. There's a lot of other areas you could be cheap in. Don't be cheap with service. When you serve people, right, serve them Generously, Matthew 5.41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Don't be cheap with your greetings. Yo, fix this mic, man. Please, can you please, can you please fix this mic? Uh, we've gotten cheap with these mics or something, alright, because these mics is not working every week. It's just getting on my nerves. Right, let's fix this. Alright, thank you. You guys are doing a great job. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> Don't be cheap with your greetings. Jesus said, Matthew 5, uh, in chapter 5, he says, If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Right? When you inside, or if you're in America, hey, how are you? Good. Fine. And you? Like, practice that, John. A lot of Korean Americans, we don't practice that. So a lot, uh, growing up, I never practiced this. So people would be like, I'll be like, how are you? And then they will be like, very good, fine, and you? And then I'll be like, very good, fine, and you? Because I never really thought of giving, like, I was always cheap with my greetings. I only greeted people that I knew. You know, in high school, at least over in, in Philadelphia, man, we went to Central High School. You know, you go through the hallway, it's, it's packed. It was a crowded public school, right? And we would be cheap with our greetings. We only greeted people that we thought were cool. Or, or at least I, I, I like to think that way. Okay? And uh, if somebody that wasn't cool would greet you, or somebody you didn't know greeted you, or they didn't make eye contact, they try to smile and try to do one of these things, you just be like, you don't know me like that. Right? We're cheap with our greetings. And guess what? That's carried over. That's carried over because I see the way you greet each other and y'all don't greet each other. And guess what I do? I don't greet y'all either. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'm getting convicted right now. <laughs> we need to greet everybody here. We need to greet all the adults you see inside to them, you know. Greet them. Don't be cheap. Don't be cheap with your possessions. Jesus said, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. And this was a hard word for me to keep. 
You know why? Because in Philly, when I let people borrow something, I never saw it back. They will never give it back. When that happens to you enough, man, it just traumatizes you. You don't ever want to borrow. You don't want to let anybody borrow. And you, you know that when you, you come over and you see my library and say, can I borrow a book? I'd be like, why? <laughs> go, go sign your name on that sheet right there. I've, I'm still being healed from that trauma. But look, check that out. But I am giving it to you, all right? So just be quiet and be thankful. Um, but don't be cheap with your possessions. Proverbs 3.28 says, Do not say to your neighbor, Come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when you have it now with you. But how many times do we do that? Ananias and Sapphira, they had a cheap spirit. And they died. They had a cheap analyzing spirit. All right, so that's a deadly conversation, co- combination right there. But anyway, don't be cheap with your encouragements. Don't just encourage a person that's depressed. Just encourage everyone. Encourage each other. Encourage people that are doing things well. Don't be cheap with your uh, anointing. If you want more of the anointing of God on your life, you need to give away the anointing that you already have. If you want to move in the signs and wonders you see Todd White moving in, you need to learn how to give away and pray for just migraines. Pray for just simple things until God entrusts you with more of an anointing. Don't be cheap with your praise. And I'm not just talking about praise to God, but praise toward people. Just like I preached last week, people respond more to praise than they do to criticism. Don't be cheap with your praise. I can't praise a man. Look, I'm not talking about that, all right? Just encourage them. Don't be, pra- don't be cheap in prayer. I'm not even talking about the amount of prayer. I'm talking about the heart in prayer. Don't be cheap in prayer. Jesus said there will be 160 and 30 fold. Right? If you're, if you're cheap, you're going to be like, is there a 20? Right? But that, don't be cheap in prayer. Go for the 100 fold. Ask God for more. Lord, I don't want to just see that. I want to see this. Be hungry. Get rid of that cheap spirit in your prayer life. And man, I got to wrap up. I go to the other service. Hallelujah. Let me just end with this. When Jesus did his first miracle, he turned the water into wine. And the guests of the wedding who drank the wine said, John 2.10, says, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Why didn't Jesus turn the water into cheap wine? Have you ever thought of that? It's not like the people, the guests wouldn't have minded. They were too drunk. Turning water into wine is a miracle in itself. So why quality wine? I'll tell you why. It's because of the nature of Jesus. Jesus ain't cheap. If Jesus gives you something, He's going to give you the kogub, the premium, the quality. If He puts you up at a hotel, He'll put you up at a five-star, hallelujah, easy. Because Jesus ain't cheap. Nothing He does is cheap. And Jesus likes to save the best for last. He gives you something real good. Then he says, Here, here's something better. And you think that's the best it gets? And he says, here's something even better than that. 
And they said, you know what? You can look forward to even more than that. That's just the way he is. He saves the best for last. That means all the amazing miracles that we read about in the Bible is not the best that it gets, brothers and sisters. Some scholars and seminarians will say that God did all these amazing signs and wonders in the times of Jesus and the apostles to affirm the preaching of the gospel because they were unaided by a written Bible. That's what they say. And they're saying the only reason why God poured healings and miracles was to confirm God's word. To make sure that people believe it. But now that we have God's word conveniently bound together in one volume, God no longer opens up blinded eyes, makes the lame to walk, heals the woman with the issue of blood. God does do these things now and then, but not in the magnitude that we read about in the Bible. That's what all the scholars, they like to say. They say we're in a different dispensation. And the truth is, many evangelical Christians today have come up with such doctrines so that they can feel peace and comfort for themselves for not experiencing the testimonies of the Bible. What we need to understand is the Word of God always trumps our experience. If our experience doesn't line up, we don't change and make up doctrines to make ourselves feel assured and comfortable. We need to continue to press in. And my main problem with people who believe this doctrine of cessationism My main problem is not their lack of faith. My main problem is not that they mock the neo-charismatic movement. My problem is not that there's a clear need for them to be humbled and for them to be delivered from religious spirits. My problem is not because they're believing a man-made doctrine that's nowhere found in the Bible. By the way, it's not in the Bible. The cessationist doctrine. What bothers me about, what bothers me the most about cessationist doctrine is they're calling Jesus cheap. You know, you can call me cheap all you want, but do not talk about my Lord in that way. I don't care what experiences you've had, but don't be calling my Jesus cheap. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the amazing things that He did then, He will do today for those who seek Him with all their hearts. And they're saying, He did all these miracles, but He's too cheap to do the same miracles today. Jesus was okay with healing thousands of people, but He's too cheap to heal the billions today. Jesus has got all this miraculous power, but when the Bible got canonized, that was his expiration date, and he started getting cheap. And you know what? I just don't buy it. I don't care what I've experienced what, or my lack of experience. I, I just don't buy it. That's not the heart of a child that looks to the Lord that, that I'm reading about in my Bible. Jesus is not cheap. Jesus is generous. Amen? Jesus is gracious. Jesus is good. Jesus is not just good, He's extravagantly good. And if you hear what the wedding guest said, he said, you have saved the best till now. Jesus has saved the best till now, brothers and sisters. And all the amazing things we read about in the Bible, Jesus is about to repeat all those miracles today and more. 
He is bringing us to a time of restoration. And guess how this is going to happen? I'll tell you how it's not going to happen. He's not going to clone himself, come down at 5,000 Jesuses and go around doing miracles. That's not how he's going to do it. What Jesus is doing is he's distributing his anointing to the people of God on the earth, to the millions and to the millions that are on this earth that call themselves ambassadors of Christ. He's distributing his anointing, the same anointing that operated in him, to go out and to display the power of God. And Satan, knowing this, has created all kinds of lies and doctrines to keep us down. John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Does somebody in here believe that? It doesn't say any full-time pastor, any evangelist, any super mature Christian. It says anyone, anyone who has faith in me will do the same things. That's you, 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 you. Anyone who has faith in Christ will do the same things that he did. I'm telling you right now, Jesus saved the best for last. And with the first act of Jesus' public ministry, he poured out some of the finest wine ever. But with the last act of Jesus' public ministry, he poured out a wine that was even better than that. And that was the blood. That was his own blood. He poured out. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus, when he went to the cross, was not cheap. He bled every ounce of blood. He could have, you know, when he went, when he was on the road to Golgotha, when he was just about to climb the hill of Calvary, somebody offered him this wine mixed with myrrh. And if you study history, what they did was this wine that when, when you mix it with myrrh, it becomes like a sedative. It becomes like a, uh, a, it has a numbing effect in your body. And when they offered to Jesus, they, it was like an act of mercy, an act of kindness. Here, Jesus, just take this. And you know what? Um, Mel Gibson copied it in the movie uh, Braveheart. Because the queen, she, she comes, or the princess comes and says, Oh, you cannot, oh, I, I don't want to spoil the ending, but... Uh, let me do it anyway. Uh, she, she's like, you know, you can't go. I can't imagine you being tortured. Here, take this. And like she, she gives him this pill or whatever, this syrup, so that it would numb his pain. And then she gives him this kiss to make sure that he drank it. But somehow, William Wallace, he put it under his tongue or whatever. And when she leaves, he spits it out. Right? But same, same thing. Jesus, when he was offered that wine, he didn't drink it. Why? Because he's not cheap. He wanted to go through all that pain and suffering to pay the price for your penalty. Brothers and sisters, I can't preach the whole thing here, but what I'm just trying to say is Jesus did not die on the cross so that you can live a cheap life. His redemption was not for you to hoard everything you've got. The cross was a fulfillment of the Abrahamic blessing. You will be blessed to be a blessing to all nations. God wants you to live a life of extravagance, generosity. For he who sows generously will reap generously. Brothers and sisters, don't live at the place of cheap spirits. Come in to the spirit of Christ. 
the spirit of extravagance. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Lord, I just thank you so much. And I praise you. That God, you are a God of amazing love. And we ask that God, the cross of Christ, will not only inspire us, but will enable us to live extravagant lives for you. God, pour as you poured out your blood for the forgiveness of sin. God, as you poured out your blood for our justification, we also ask that you will pour out your spirit for our sanctification. That not only will we receive redemption, but we may be your ambassadors to a world that is in desperate need, not of a cheap spirit, but of an extravagant, loving, giving one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.